This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. Feeling more homeless now <laughs> by the day. You know, this Roe versus Wade shit is crazy. And it's not, we, we saw it coming, right? We had, we, they played just the tip with it not that long ago. And of course, we're going to dive into that. That's going to be a big part of the show. We're also going to talk about some Uvalde updates um, and Daily Wire versus Buzz Lightyear. Rand Paul and Fauci again. I think it's like round four or five right now of them going back and forth, which is just, you know, Rand Paul is the sunshine of my life. Um, and Russia and Ukraine, you know, so that's where we're at. That is where we're at. I wanna, I'm going to tell you guys something, though. Um, been taking some time here and wasn't really anticipating this uh, Roe versus Wade decision to come out this quick. I thought it was actually going to be a, a week or so later. Uh, but trying to figure out what we're doing here um, with Politically Homeless. Now, this whole thing started because this is, I cared about this stuff and I was pretty engaged in this stuff before the show started, so it kind of made sense. But I, um, you know, it wasn't I didn't really have a plan. I just kind of just went for it, and it all worked out, and things have grown and done well, and we've done well on various platforms. We've been censored on various platforms, and one platform we really struggle with um, is YouTube. Uh, I mean, I'm serious, you know, for as many of you, there's more than 15 of you out there listening to this, but my YouTube videos get about 15 views um, per and sometimes some will break out and do a hundred or a thousand every now and then, but it's rare. And um, I've realized that that now that COVID is over and there was so much kind of COVID related content on the channel that it's pretty undeniable now that there's a hefty amount of content suppression um, associated with that channel. So given that there's only like 1500 subscribers on there, um, this is me letting you guys know that we're going to actually start a brand new uh, YouTube channel. And here's the plan. And it's been, it's been at work, but it's worth a shot uh, because the audience has grown. You guys are out there. You guys are actually really engaged. I fucking love you guys. Like y'all, the discourse I get to have with y'all um, is awesome. Um, so I'm sitting here to tell you, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, I'm trying to think about the way to language this. Uh, we're going to start a new YouTube channel and I'm going to need a lot of help. Um, I'm trying to ask for help that much, but we're going to need a lot of help because what we're going to have to do is get that thing going live and then get traction immediately. Um, and I'll be putting up older videos, some of the best videos we've done, and just kind of keep it um, nothing COVID-related on there at this at this time. Uh, I think that that suppression may have wound down a little bit. We'll see where that goes. But, you know, when you're trying to build, um, essentially build a business, and that's what this is, like I, I focus first on providing value and then you know, we have to have this thing has to be viable. Uh, different outlets like YouTube, particularly. I mean, the the most valuable um, audience you can have, right? When it comes to something like what I do, has to do with the podcast and uh, YouTube. And you know, that's just the way it is. That's the content production game. So I'm I'm telling you all guys all of this because one, I want you to understand kind of where we're coming from and why these changes are happening. And two, I'm just gonna give you the heads up that um, I'm gonna really need y'all support. Uh, to get over to the YouTube, subscribe, turn on post notifications, all that kind of stuff, and and get us kind of juicing the algorithm on the front end because we're fighting an uphill battle here. YouTube does not love me, doesn't like content like this. Um, I already know we're kind of going to get the short end of the stick when it comes to recommendations and things like that, but we've got to do something here. And, and it's something I've been thinking about for a while and trying to figure out what to do with that. So 
Uh, going to be getting to work on that today, and I will keep you guys updated. But I wanted to just give you a heads up because it is something that is important to me. This whole thing is really important to me, and I feel like we do uh, the best we can here. And and being you know a one man show minus my my video editor Josh, who works for Soulfire Soulfire Productions, who does a great job by the way. But between me and Josh, um, we've got a, we got a lot of, we got a, a big a big load on our hands. We got a big fat load on our hands. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Again, your support. You don't, I'm not you don't owe me anything, but it would be really really uh, helpful for me and what we're doing here and try to grow this. And the more we can do with this, uh, the more content content we can make. The more we can diversify. I've even looked at bringing in um, other shows into this into this network. But to do that, we have to have. Uh, something to deliver. We have to have something to offer, and this is all a big part of the part of the game we're playing here. That being said, if you also want to support what we're doing here, a great way to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash politically homeless. You can find the link in the show notes. Great audience, growing by the day. Love it. Awesome people, great discourse. Those bonus episodes every week that are that are delivered to the Patreon and and crowdsourced from the Patreon when it comes to topics and what we dive into. Yeah, and I can get in there sometimes without fully formed ideas and don't have to have a script or anything and just kind of go and just talk and, 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 and talk things out and hear responses from people. It's really, it's a great environment. So if you're into this show and you like what we're doing here and you feel that you're politically homeless, well, make it official in the politically homeless, Patreon, patreon.com slash politically homeless link is in the show notes. Not much banter today. We're going to get right into the state of things, uh, kicking it off with Roe versus Wade. Let's go. All right, all right. Got a lot to cover here. A lot to cover. And there's a, there's a lot of ways it could have gone with this. And again, this is one of those things when it comes to Roe versus Wade. This is one of those things where I don't necessarily want to be the first to jump on this. Right? We did it. We ha- I have put something in the Patreon. Um, I did that yesterday, just kind of talking through some ideas, and that was more of a place for me to flush out some thoughts and. And be a little bit less coherent and I am now and kind of just go for it. But as of, you know, big things like this, when they happen, the best thing to do for views and, and to hijack the algorithm is to be the first to speak. Uh, I put a tweet up that was, uh, you know, more or less critical of hypocrisy. But when I look at this whole thing, I'm thinking, all right, let me take a second. Let me hear some takes and get some thoughts in order. And then we can talk about this real versus way decision. I don't need to go through all the details because you guys have seen this everywhere, right? 63 decision. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts probably would have would have allowed this all is kind of based on this Mississippi uh, court case that went to the Supreme Court. That was a 15 week ban. And Justice Roberts wanted to uphold that without overturning Roe versus Wade, which I think would have been a great decision. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to the responsibility of the Supreme Court, um, I don't think this is the wrong decision. You know, I mean, it doesn't explicitly say it in the Constitution. I get that. But that doesn't change that much for me. Okay, I understand that that's a big talking point when it comes to conservatives. It doesn't really change that much to me because so many things should have happened between 1973 and today as when it comes to codifying Roe versus Wade. If you're a fan of democracy and a fan of of, of your representatives speaking for you, the way that this 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 you know, this, um, country was designed, um, then that's really what should have happened. That should have transpired. This was always a threat. This is something that conservatives are so organized around this. And it's a very small segment of the population. 13% of this, of the, of Americans want out and out bans on abortion, like full on. Okay. So 87% of the country is, is okay with abortions of some kind, depending on which, right? 
but we're going to go through the trigger laws and what what's been what's going to be happening now where we are going forward what that means some good takes and bad takes but it's important to look at that number right it's a very small segment of the population you know when you i was actually going to bring up Ben Shapiro and him discussing this with somebody who's like a, runs a pro life organization um, and i don't even want, i don't like even like the term pro life because a lot of these people are are war hawks who at the end of the day don't mind drones blowing up tons of kids but they you know are really concerned about women having a right to choose. So I like to say it's like, it's like, are you, are you pro-choice or are you anti-abortion? That's kind of what it comes down to, to me. Um, now when we look at all of this and really think this through, um, we've got to take a really neutral stance and that's what I'm going to aim to do here. I'm going to try and take a really neutral, I'm not objective on this cause I can't be, no one can, but I'm going to try to take a neutral stance and look at both sides and see where there was some overreach by either 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 party on this and where we can likely meet uh, in the middle and what's likely to happen going from here on. So let's just, as we talk about kind of the, the, the public sentiment around this, get my cursor in the right way over here. There we go. All right, so we've got some polling. This is uh, from a YouGov poll we're looking at here. So if you look at this, the Supreme Court overruling Roe versus Wade, um, 41% approve, 59% disapprove, 67% of women disapprove, and 33% approve, right? 52% of people say uh, it's a step backwards for America. 31% say it's a step forward for America. So you're seeing these out-and-out out out majorities of people um, when it comes to polling. And this is a little over 1,500 people, so it's not a humongous sample size, but it's, it's large enough to get a good representation here. Um, among women... Impact of Roe versus Wade on women's lives. 56% say they will make their lives worse. 16% say it'll make it better. And 28% say not much different. So there's a big gap there. 56 to 16, really. 28% indifferent. Um, likelihood the Supreme Court will limit same-sex marriage. 57%. A majority of people were saying that it's likely for the Supreme Court to limit same-sex marriage on the same with the same thought process that they, that they approached Roe v. Wade. And then access to birth control, will they limit that? 55% versus 45% saying that are likely to limit access to a birth control. So that's really scary. And that's really scary. But again, we're just talking about public sentiment here. 17% um, of Democrats approve of, of overturning Roe versus Wade. 83% disapprove. Now, conservatives are almost flipped that. 78% approve and 22% disapprove. But that's, that's kind of a large number of, of, of Republicans there. But what really matters to me here, and this is where many of us land, right? I, I'm always going to focus more on the independents and the politically homeless, whether that's barstool conservatives or center lefties uh, who are kind of disenfranchised from the Democratic Party and all of their corruption. I like to focus more there because that's, that's more representative of people that aren't on a team and are making decisions based on issues, not on party affiliation. So 62% of people, independents, disapprove of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, 38% approved. Now, again, like I've said, I don't think this is the wrong decision for the court. Um, and I can say this, and I also don't think it was the wrong decision in 1973 for them to uh, uphold Roe versus Wade, right? I think that at that time, 1973, there were all kinds of crazy things going on. I mean, it wasn't long before that that women were giving themselves uh, Lysol abortions, right? Back out, like people, a lot of people were dying a lot of these people already had children, couldn't couldn't uh, do it again. Uh, there was very little mental health uh, support for women who were dealing with postpartum issues. A lot of the burden for all of this was placed on women. So I think even at the time, even though it may not have been judicially correct, 
um, the passing of Roe versus Wade or the upholding of Roe versus Wade in 1973 was the right decision. As I think now overturning it, it's probably the right legal decision. Um, that being said, I don't think it's the right thing to do. And we're going to get into what I think should have been done, should have been done after we get through some of this public sentiment here. Um, so this is about just feelings. You can go back there. Um, this is a really, this, this sums it up in a big, in a big way. Things in America are going well, 19% badly, 81%, 81% of people polled in this poll think things in America are going badly. And I think that's a uh, pretty representative representative of our entire country. Now, if we look at the numbers here, abortion in your state should be legal in all cases, 32%, legal in most cases, 32%, illegal in most cases, 27%, and illegal in all cases, 9%. Now, legal in all cases, I'm going to have to disagree with that. Um, and I understand kind of where people are coming from here, but I'll get into my, my kind of thoughts on that down the road. So we have essentially 64% here say it should be legal in all cases or most cases versus 36% who say it should be illegal in most cases or illegal in all cases. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty profound difference. Um, now we have here, how many people support federal law making abortion legal, which should have happened long ago. Uh, 58% versus 42% that oppose. So 58% of people, again, an out-and-out majority by quite a lot there that that support a a law making abortion legal, which is where this should have happened. This should have happened in Congress. Now let's discuss that for a second. We look at this and what should have been done. Okay, now Obama ran in 2007. He spoke about this. said one of his first priorities would be codifying or codifying, excuse me, Roe versus Wade into law done through Congress with his supermajority in the House and the Senate, right? Didn't even need one single Republican vote to codify Roe versus Wade. Didn't do it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who had her reservations around Roe versus Wade, to be sure, and and its legal standing, um, could have stepped down when she when Obama was president, when she knew she had cancer, right? And kept more of a balance. Because if that would have been the case. If that seat wouldn't have gone to Brett Kavanaugh, right? Now it should have gone. Uh, we should have had a different conversation here because at least one of the seats, one of the conservative seats in the Supreme Court, if the way you want to shake it, was stolen. It was stolen. Okay, Obama had a responsibility as a president of the United States to appoint a Supreme Court justice, and that justice should have gone through confirmation hearings, and that justice was Merrick Garland. Okay, and he even went with like a middle of the road type candidate. But the conservatives said, well, it's an election year. We should let the people decide. But that didn't really matter whenever Trump pushed through Amy Coney Barrett. So that you can say that was stolen, if you would like. It feels to me like it was. So one seat, whichever way you want to shake it, unless they wanted to be principled and say, well, we're not going to in an election year because the people should decide, right? Conservatives don't do that because conservatives are just as hypocritical as everybody else. So that being said, right, that's gone. That's politics. That is what it is. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have stepped down during Obama's presidency. Uh, a younger justice should have been appointed. And that would have put Roberts in a situation where he probably would have sided to uphold Roe versus Wade as opposed to going uh, with the majority there. We'll see. You know, he wanted to get, like I said, he wanted to uphold the 15 week ban, which I think is a good decision uh, without overturning Roe versus, versus Wade. That makes a lot of sense to me, but it is what it is. 
Now, to continue down what should have been done here, um, we knew this was coming, right? We saw the, 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 the opinion come out, was leaked. And I think, you know, in, in a practical, pragmatic, utopian world <laughs> that I would have liked to live in and say, hey, you want this to be passed down to the states for the states to decide. Well, if you want the states to decide, I think the way you do that is through a direct ballot initiative, maybe at the midterms, right? A direct ballot initiative with a few options. Do you want this to be legal in every case besides rape, incest, or medical comp- or uh, uh, pregnancy complications that endanger the mother, right? Which those should never be infringed upon. Rape, incest, and for the, the safe and well-being in the life of the mother, those should never be infringed upon at any point in the pregnancy, Okay, that is not elective. That is not, that's not, that's, that's not, and we can even talk about like what happens at 20 weeks whenever you find out like there's chromosomal issues or, or, or brain development issues. Those are all separate things and they don't belong in the abortion category. That is a medical procedure between a woman and her doctor or the parents of that child, really in that case, and the doctor and amongst themselves. That is not the government's role to have any fucking say so in that decision. Okay, and I will die on that hill to be sure. Right, so a direct ballot initiative saying illegal except these three cases that I listed, legal up to twelve weeks or fifteen weeks, whatever you want to do there, or legal at any point. Right, doing kind of a ranked choice voting there, that would be great. That'd be a great way to have a first, second, third choice, and uh, use that to decide what's going to be the the law of the state. Now, if we did that, and some states still decided by a majority uh, via rate choice voting that um, that they didn't want abortion to be legal. Well, that's democracy at work and it is what it is. I have a hard time feeling that that many States would do that, but if you want this to be passed down to the States and the States actually need a chance to speak because you got a lot of people who are conservatives who are pro choice conservatives, which is going to be a growing population by the way. Um, these pro-choice conservatives who are not ever going to vote for a Democrat, ever. They don't vote on abortion as a single issue. A very small portion of the country votes on abortion as the primary issue. So you're going to need a way for these people to speak up, and it can't be through representatives in that point because there's so many other things to be considered, and this isn't a huge issue for many people, right? People that aren't trying to have kids or past the point of having kids, like they just don't, isn't on their radar. You know what I mean? That being said, something else that should have been done, right? So we have ballot initiatives. Conservatives, if they want to be the party of, 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 of life, right, of anti-abortion, should have passed regulations into law that allow adoption to be done. If, they, if, a, if parents can provide that they have a safe and stable home for a child, adoption should be absolutely 100% fucking free. Not free of time. You may have to be interviewed, go through, jump through some hurdles, have a barrier to entry in that way of providing um, the safety and stability of your household. And for that, maybe some psych evaluations. It should be absolutely free. Right now, it'll cost you about $20,000 to adopt a child. That's absurd. We did IVF. cost us about $20,000, right? Like it, it, if you have the same cost to try one or the other, well, you really have no incentive to take in a child that needs a home and needs parents and needs a stable household. Um, that changes the value proposition deeply. And I think, you know, I had a lot of friends that were adopted when I was growing up and they were had amazing parents and amazing families. And I think that's a really great system that should, if you were going to be the party of life, that should also be part of it. 
resources for mothers need to be in place, whether that's mental health, and especially in a place like Texas, which we're going to get down to with these trigger laws here in just a bit. Um, like Texas, don't they don't make an exception for rape or incest. So you're going to have a, a, a mother carrying a child to term that is a product of her rape. And just like we saw in Uvalde, right? A place like that. What if there's no mental health facilities for 40 some odd miles? Texas has shit mental health infrastructure. But at the same time, they want to uh, ban abortions that are the product of rape. And of course, that is a small sample size, but those lives matter, right? And there's very little chance that that child is going to actually have a fair shake at life due to the pro-lifers out there. Education, right? An area where conservatives fail over and over again, especially when it comes to sex education. They lean on abstinence only because they're naive fucking morons. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Quality, comprehensive, secular. Hear me on this. Quality, comprehensive, secular sex education should be a must, an absolute priority if you would like to ban abortions. If not, then what the fuck are you doing here? Those things all should be put in place to earn the overturning of Roe versus Wade, in my opinion, right? In a rational, pragmatic, utopian world that I'm talking about here. But that's not the way it works. We put the cart before the horse, right? If you want to ban abortions in your state so bad, then prove it by doing something to provide for these families. Because right now we're living in a world where gas is going to be $6 a gallon before too long. Right? Our education system is fucked. There's no upper mobility, a shrinking middle class. And now you want to force more children into that system, which are just another burden. And I hate to say that, but children are a burden. They can be a worthwhile burden, but children are a burden. And the technical definition of a burden is something to be carried, right? So by default, unless you want to change definitions, conservatives, children are a burden. Many things are a burden in life, right? Dogs are a burden. Working out is a burden. Making money is a burden. But they have positive benefits of taking on that sacrifice, right? If you don't have the resources to take on that kind of sacrifice into your life, provide a quality life for a kid, and our, our, our a country in this state is in such disarray that even the opportunity to provide that kind of life for yourself, much less other people, is, is limited. Well, how much sense does that really make? Now, the anti-abortion crowd will either call this what I'm talking about, socialism or Satanism. And one thing I forgot to mention here is there should be Free pregnancy tests in public bathrooms everywhere. Walmart, coffee shops, the DMV. I don't know. Wherever the fuck you go. Anywhere. Anywhere. Now, again, anti-abortion people will generally call that socialism, and I would call them assholes. Because if you're going to ban abortion at six weeks or eight weeks or ten weeks, whatever it is, then make sure that the people know what the hell is up. Know what the hell it is up. Now, you can get condoms for free most places. Planned Parenthood hands those out, even though they're satanic, apparently, as well. So, <laughs> it feels like we needed about a year to kind of prep for this. You know, it's like, okay, this is going to be overturned. We're going to do it in whenever we're going to do it. And in this, in the meantime, at the state level, because it's going to be kicked down to, you guys need to make preparations 
for this, and and we should have had a conversation about that. But this is all, again, this is all naive on my part, and I understand that. I'm talking about utopian world right here. And in the reality, in a utopian world, nobody would need an abortion. right? And we'll probably technology our way there at some point, but we're not there yet. So in response to all of this, and that's what I think, adoption uh, reform, pregnancy tests, resources, education, all of these things should have been done before Roe versus Wade was overturned. And I say that even understanding the legal rationale behind Roe versus Wade being overturned. Now, to move on here, the Democratic response to this has been absolutely, absolutely insane. So, <sighs> Biden and top Dems accused of tacky fundraising over Roe versus Wade reversal. A fundraising money grab by President Joe Biden and other top Democrats in the wake of the Supreme Court reversal of Roe versus Wade has irked supporters who call the move tacky. Someone says here, I've gotten six fundraising emails from Democrat, Democratic candidates today. It's tacky and it highlights a real disconnect between politicians and their constituents that is only growing. Matt Garrick, a New York-based writer and performer, shared a fundraising email from Democratic National Committee on Twitter and was so incensed that he added, and with that, I'm unsubscribing from the DNC. And this is a this is a big movement here, right? So Nancy Pelosi was 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 just dragged for immediately sending out an email that she had pre-drafted, asking for donations because they need to get more Democrats in the midterms, right? So they're actually I think they're actually loving this. The Democrats are actually loving this because this is the only thing that gives them any leverage at all. But it's not enough. They're still going to get washed in the midterms. It's going to be absolutely insane. Like the red wave we're about to experience, even with this, and that's just how much leverage the Republicans have because of the incompetence and the hypocrisy. And let's not even get into, right, the jab and the my body, my choice crowd because they have zero ground to stand on. Zero. I take a principled stance on bodily autonomy, as many of you do as well. But that's not the case, right? The anti abortion crowd is anti mandate. <laughs> Right, and the pro-choice crowd is pro-mandate. Oftentimes, now of course there are outliers there, but hey, talk about the trends here. Now this was summed up really well by this woman here. Now this is a Gen Zer, okay, and she's going to absolutely roast the Democratic Party. Let's listen in. So I received a text message from Joe Biden's campaign yesterday saying that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe versus Wade and that it was my responsibility to then rush $15 to the Democratic National Party. Um, and I thought that was absolutely outrageous because my rights should not be a fundraising point for them um, or a campaigning point. Uh, they have had multiple opportunities to codify Roe into law over the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they haven't done it. And if they're going to keep campaigning on this point, they should actually do something about it. Abs. Damn. And that's from David Dole. So we'll get her back up here. Absolutely roasted, right? Because oh, we, get, we already brought this up. Obama with a supermajority, RBG. There was many ways it could have gone about this. They could have made this priority. They were lazy. And they're do-nothing fucks. So like, oh, hey, we fucked up. We need more money now. No, you don't, Nancy. No, you don't, you insider trading bitch. You have you don't you need nothing. What you need to do is shut the fuck up. You just shut the fuck up and think about what you did. Think about what you did. Your incompetence and your lack of principles led to this. Nancy and the like, Chuck Schumer. Shall I continue? That's why we're here. 
This should have been easily overturned and had a law backstopping it. So it didn't matter if the Supreme Court overturned it. Because this is something that the, the conservatives, the, not only say the conservatives, I'm sorry, guys, because there's a lot of you conservatives out there that are like, we don't give a damn, right? People can do what they want to do. The, the, the more civil libertarian types. So I'll just use the anti-abortion instead of conservatives. I'm sorry for lumping you guys in there. But anti-abortion crowd, right? They're organized. They're structured. They're diligent. They're passionate about this. They're fired up. They are a very loud and powerful minority. And they have been planning this and just biding their time until they got here. Now, speaking of conservatives, a big movement within conservatism is the Barstool Conservative. And this is an area where people are going to get hit hard, I think, when it comes to conservatives. It's losing. I think these people are still going to vote red, but they're going to have reservations. And I think it could bring more pro-choice Republicans to the front. Because you're going to see how many people affiliate with this message right here. And this is Dave Portnoy. Let's, let's listen into what he has to say. Okay, Mercy press conference, uh, Roe versus Wade just got overturned. Let me start by saying this is a Dave Portnoy press conference. This doesn't reflect Barcelona, all right? Barcelona is 300 whatever people. They all may think certain ways. This is just me, how I feel. I feel like I have to speak on this issue. I already talked about it a little bit. To me, this is just pure insanity. Pure insanity. We are going backwards in time. We are literally going backwards in time. It, it makes no sense how anybody thinks it's their right to tell a woman what to do with her body. I just don't get it. To take away the ability to make informed decisions on how they want to live their lives is bananas. I know people will be like, well, no, it's a constitutional issue. They're just giving it to the states. Well, like what, 20 states are saying they're going to overturn it right away? And what if you're poor in that state and you can't go to another state and things like that? It's just nuts to me. Not to mention the same people are saying, you know, they want to take it away and overturn it are also like got to protect guns because of the Constitution. At what point do you look at the Constitution and say, hey, this was written by people who had slaves. Maybe not everything is exactly to a T in the Constitution. Like a million years from now, you're going to use a document written in the... It's just nuts. In what world? The world evolves. People evolve. Technology evolves. you got to evolve. You can't stick with this document and look at that and be like, that's the end-all, be-all. It, it, it's literally crazy pills. This is coming from somebody who consistently is like, the U.S. is the best country in the world by a mile. I still believe it. But we're going backwards. And the left and the right suck so fucking bad. Like, the left fucking hates me. The, the woke left, the liberals, they're crazy. They're insane people. Yet, I end up having to vote for a moron like Biden because the right is going to put Supreme Court people in who are just ruining this country and taking basic rights away. I honestly believe 95% of the people in the country think like me. They're like, they're liberally, they're, they're socially liberal and they're financially conservative. They like 90% of what Republicans, they don't like the woke culture, all this craziness. But then you look at what they're doing and it's like you're taking away basic rights. What's next? Same-sex marriage? Like, what is next? It's insane. That's why we have to vote for the morons like Biden, who's borderline incompetent, because it's too dangerous to vote Republican. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Wake up. All right, that's Dave Portnoy, everybody. And a lot of people feel that way. Most of my conservative friends feel that way. Right? Now, we can get into the nuance of, of the judicial and what the role is. I get that. I get that. But this should have been codified into law a long time ago, right? 
probably during the Obama administration, but it wouldn't have been good for his, I don't know, approval ratings with Republicans because he's reaching across. Who fucking cares? I, like at this point, it's just like you failed. You're a failure. You failed. Nancy Pelosi, you failed. AOC, you failed. Right? Obama, you failed. Biden doesn't know where the fuck he is. So, like, yeah, I guess he failed, but, like, does he even he even remember this tomorrow? Who knows? It's insane. It's insane the way they're handling this. Now, I do want to bring up, and this is, I just can't get over. This is just so, so many people feel this way. So many people do. So, if we go back here, let's look at the, at the, um, the trigger laws. So, if we scroll down here, and this is from CNN, but this is accurate. Now, some of the trigger laws take it to a 15-week ban, right? Uh, Mississippi, um, Florida. I'm okay with that. 15 weeks, I think, is generous. You know, if we look at Europe and Scandinavian countries, it's around 12. I think 12 weeks is fine. I wouldn't even be mad at a national 12-week um, a, a, a allowance, right? Allowance period for abortions. I'd be totally fine with that. If that was the national regulation, and we went. that, that was it. Or maybe it was, maybe it's at least 10 weeks or up to 15 weeks. Something in that range, you know? I mean, my, my wife is 14 weeks pregnant. So I know exactly what a 14-week pregnancy looks like. And to think about an abortion at that level is, makes me pretty uncomfortable. But there's, re, there's reasons for it. There's reasons to have an abortion after 20 weeks if there's some kind of chromosomal issue or brain development issue that I think should be allowed for. But that again, I put that in a different category. But at 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks in that area, it takes about six weeks, maybe eight weeks to find out you're pregnant depending on if you're on birth control or not, because a lot of those people don't have periods, right? We got to be really mindful about that. And we look at the whole thing. So it's like, all right, you get six to eight weeks to figure out you're pregnant and you get two to three weeks to figure out what you want to do. That seems like adequate time. Talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to your partner, whatever it is, make a decision. I'm okay with that, right? And I don't consider that an abortion ban, right? I consider that kind of pragmatic regulation. Again, if there is an issue, right, whether it be an ectopic pregnancy, uh, rape or incest, even after that time period, because you never know what they have to escape to get into care of some kind, um, or some kind of chromosomal or brain development issue that you can't find out until 20 weeks or so. Those are exceptions. Those are not in that same category. Maybe it's still technically an abortion, but it's not in the same category. Those should be protected um, to every extent, in my opinion. But up to 12 weeks, 12 weeks is good, I think. Great. Okay. And I think that's where 70% of the country lands is first term or first trimester, early first trimester, even at that. I think the first trimester ends at 14 weeks. But yeah. So we can we can have that conversation. So let's just go through some of the states here and what their trigger laws will entail. Arkansas would ban nearly all abortions in the event of the row is overturned, except for the cases of life-threatening medical emergency. Again, it's good that they have that in there, but that doesn't also make an exception for chromosomal issues and things like that. A medical provider who violates could face up to 10 years in prison or a fine of up to $100,000 or both. Idaho would ban providing, uh, would make providing abortions felony punishable by up to five years in prison if row is struck down. Exceptions will be provided to prevent the death of the pregnant person or the case of rape or incest. Okay. Um, Kentucky legislature passed a bill in 2019 that would ban abortions and make performing them a felony offense in the Supreme Court. If yeah, yeah, da, 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 Louisiana 
would ban medical providers from performing abortion procedures or providing drugs intended to induce an abortion in the case Roe was overturned. The ban would not apply to life-threatening or serious medical emergencies, but requires the physician to make reasonable medical efforts to preserve the life of the adult and the fetus. Mississippi law states that within 10 days of the state attorney general confirming Roe has been overturned, abortions are prohibited in the state. Limited exceptions are provided in the case of rape or when the procedure would preserve the mother's life. Uh, Mississippi, yeah, Mississippi passed a 15-week abortion ban in 2018, which was the source of the case currently in front of the Supreme Court. So this is actually done before the, the overturn, but we get an idea of what's going on here. So they, had, they have on the books right now a 15-week abortion ban, but they have a trigger that also takes them to be almost wholly outlawed in case of less, less medical emergency. Uh, Missouri... Make it a felony for medical providers to perform or induce abortions except in the case of medical emergency. North Dakota, ban abortions and make it a felony to perform the procedure except in cases that would save the life of the mother. Oklahoma would make performing abortions illegal in the state, only allowing exceptions to save the life of the pregnant person. The measure makes performing an abortion or attempt to to perform uh, one a felony punishable by a maximum of $100,000 or a maximum of 10 years in state prison or both. Wow. South Dakota has a trigger ban on the books since 2005 when the law was passed to set up the almost outright ban on abortions in the event rose overturned. The law would make it illegal to perform an abortion except in life-threatening medical emergencies. Tennessee. Um, would prohibit all abortions except those that would prevent the death of the mother and would go into effect 30 days after Roe struck down. Texas so-called trigger ban was signed into law in June 2021. It would make abortions illegal unless the pregnant person's life is threatened or they are at risk of serious injury. The law would go into effect 30 days after the Supreme Court issues a ruling over overruling Roe. Notice there is no uh, exception for rape or incest in Texas. So keep that in mind. Utah. Banning almost all abortions, except including cases of rape or incest. Detection of severe birth defects. So that's one that should be in all of them. If you're going to ban them, detection of severe birth defects is a serious, serious issue. If you were trying to have a child and that child turns out to have Down syndrome, I understand this is really, really sad and and really hard. But if something like that is going on, you have to understand that if you we live in a world where two parents need to work. Right, We live in a world where two parents generally need to work. If you don't live in that reality, then you will not be capable of, of, of raising a child that has those type of needs. Okay, the, the amount of care you'll need, the amount of time, your, the amount of medical procedures, you're going to bankrupt, bankrupt yourself because our for-profit healthcare system will leech on to anybody who has any kind of needs. Wyoming. That provision that would make it illegal to perform an abortion if Roe is overturned with extremely limited exceptions for the case of sexual assault, incest, or the risk of severe injury to the person giving birth. So that's kind of where we're at with the trigger laws. Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Now, Trump had a rally celebrating this, even though Trump couldn't give a fuck, could not give a fuck about abortions or babies or people. He gives a fuck about himself, okay? And he feels this is a win for himself. So he, I don't even know who this candidate is here. It's a, uh, somebody endorsed by, um, by Trump. Let's hear what she has to say. I'm so honored to have your endorsement. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. That Listen loves that you. Listen I'm so honored to have your endorsement. President Trump... On behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, 
I want to thank you for the historic victory for life in the Supreme Court yesterday. The huge victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. I hope that's in every ad running against this woman from here forever. A victory for white life. Weird. Weird. So here's my thoughts. You know, we've been doing this for half an hour now. Um, when it comes to this, I think one possible outcome of this is you're going to see more Republicans that are speaking up for rational regulations on this. I know Republicans and regulations don't generally go together unless it has something to do with big tech, but I think that we're going to see something here. We're going to see some more pro-choice Republicans really be bold and stand up here. And I think they're going to, people are going to rally behind them in certain States. And it's going to be completely based on what the people in that state, uh, what the temperature is uh, on this issue. And you're going to see more uh, bans starting at 15 weeks. Right? You're going to see that become a more common thing, which, again, is not that big of a deal, in my opinion, personally. Um, I also want to say this, and I, I really sincerely mean this. We do not have a country that is healthy enough to ban abortions. We do not have the access to upward mobility. We do not have a robust middle class. We're financially fucked. Inflation is out the ass. Right? I think this is a technical term now is just out the ass. We got inflation out the ass. Right? We're more divided than ever. We do not have a country that is healthy enough to ban abortions. Right? And that's what the conservatives, these, excuse me, I did it again. That's what these pro, or excuse me, anti abortion advocates, right? That's what they're trying to do. They want an outright. Ban on abortions at the federal level. That is what they want. That is what Shapiro wants, what Charlie Kirk wants. That's what all these grifters and these conservative fuckheads, that's what they want. And they were going to keep fighting and they're going to be more organized than anybody else. And that's what they want. And they're going to get more and more of that because they have a shit ton of money and a shit ton of leverage because they're backed by a bunch of companies that don't have to pay taxes called churches. Right? So these churches get to influence political opinion as much as they want, but they don't have to pay taxes to do it. At least Amazon has to pay some kind of taxes, <laughs> right? Now, of course, to get write-offs, and it generally turns out to be zero, but there's a threat of them being being forced to pay some kind of taxes somewhere down the line. They're going to influence or break the honor, whoever else, fill in the blank with some other Pfizer, these other companies that just, like, own politicians, right? But these churches don't pay a fucking red cent in taxes and they get to influence public opinion like this. So, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to, if it's going to be a play to pay to play game, then you should at least make them pay for it. Right. But we do not have a country that is healthy enough to ban abortion. We do not. If we had a super booming middle-class and didn't have a bajillion trillion dollar deficit, <laughs> fucking funding a war in Ukraine that has nothing to do with us. If we weren't in that place, maybe we could have a conversation, but we're not. We're not. And people's lives, a lot of people's lives fucking suck. A lot of people's lives fucking suck. And the one reprieve they get, the one thing you can do without money that's fun and feels good is fucking. That's what it is. And now these fuckers want to shame everybody for trying to get it in. And it's like, well, these are the consequences of fucking blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay. Everything has consequences. Driving down the road has consequences. What the fuck? The one thing people can do and enjoy it and love it that doesn't cost anything is fuck. 
Not to mention that 60% of people who get abortions already have children. They understand the sanctity of life. They understand what it feels like to have children. Oh, it's a war on fucking y'all. The anti-abortion crowd has started a war on fucking. And I can't stand for it. I am pro-fucking. Okay? It's consensual. And, you know, age-appropriate. No, I don't endorse Epstein shit. But I am pro-fucking. But that's where we're at. Now let's move on. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, guys, that they created Element. And Element is just a, uh, it's a beautiful beverage mix, you know. It's got magnesium. It's got salt. It is so salty. And it's hot right now. I mean, I'm in my office right now. My AC doesn't work, and I'm sweating my ass off. I'd be sweating in here. I mean, I'm pitting so hard right now. I think the video is going to be just... Just me looking moist as fuck. But here's the thing. I stay hydrated because I drink Element every single day. Every day. No exceptions. If I'm in the mountains, I got Element. If I'm at the golf course, I got Element. If I'm in the office, I got Element. In the morning, I got Element. I got sunshine on a cloudy day, motherfuckers. It's a beautiful thing. Because electrolytes and hydration are key to your bodily function. If you like to work out... If you eat paleo, especially if you eat something like keto or you're trying to go low carb, you're going to need those electrolytes. You're going to help you not get that draggy ass keto flu type feeling, you know? Now, I know Tim Dillon is on keto. He's lost 746 pounds and he never had the keto flu once because he took or he drank element. All you do is drop it in a mason jar. That's what I got right here. I actually spilt my element during the show because I got so animated talking about Roe versus Wade that I knocked the fucking element over on the floor. So that was sad. It was sad because I needed that to stay hydrated. I'm actually feeling myself getting drier right now as we speak. I need to moisten up my insides with Element, and so do you. And there's a new offer. There's a new offer. With every purchase, you get a free variety pack. If you go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders. Okay? So what I recommend you do, I'm going to give you the whole game plan here. Because you're going to get this free variety pack so you can try out everything else. It gets tacked on to your order. Okay? So, go over there. There's a few options that are go-to bomb flavors. Watermelon, grapefruit, raspberry. Okay? Those three you cannot fail with. Go purchase one of those. And then, if you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders, link is in the show notes. You can do it while you're listening to the show right now. You're going to get that free variety pack. Then try the other ones out in the variety pack. And see which ones you like and then order from that. Watermelon, grapefruit, raspberry, you cannot go wrong. They are delicious. I was playing in a uh, scramble the other day, playing golf, and I was like, hey, guys, try these out. Of course, I love it, but the other three guys were like, damn, this shit is good. I'm like, yeah, there's no sugar in that. Magnesium, sodium. Boom. Delicious. You'll be amazed. You will be amazed, and again, It's the best way to hashtag stay moist, baby. Stay salty, stay moist, drinkelement.com. Remember, raspberry, watermelon, grapefruit. Whichever one your heart desires, get that one at drinkelement.com slash wanders. Link is in my show notes. Just click it, go there, make it happen. You're going to get a free variety pack with your order. Do it. You won't regret it. 
I love you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, let's get into some uh, some details, some new information from the Uvalde shooting. A um, couple things to cover here, really. So, I hear from Fox News of all places. Uvalde school shooting officer whose wife was shot was disarmed and escorted away from Texas DPDS chief says. Texas Department of Public, Case, Public Safety Director Steve McCraw ripped into the Uvalde School Police Chief's handling of last month's shooting at Rob Elementary School and said there were some officers that wanted to approach the gunman earlier, including a school district police officer whose wife was killed in the massacre. That offer, officer, Ruben Ruiz, received a call from his wife, Ever, Eva uh, Mireles, who told him that she had been shot. He tried to move forward into the hallway, McCraw said Tuesday at a Senate hearing. He was detained, and they took his gun away from him and escorted him off the scene. Morellas later died in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Well, time was of the essence there, wasn't it? Wow. While McCraw criticized the school's police chief, Pete Arandando, for not confronting the gunman sooner, several Texas state senators pressed McGraw on why DPS officers didn't take charge of the scene. He says, I appear to be hypercritical of the on-scene commander, and I don't mean to be, but the facts are the facts. Mistakes were made. It should have never happened that way, McCraw said Tuesday to the Texas State Capitol, accusing Arredondo of replacing the lives of officers before the lives of children. Yes, this fucking fat coward right here, this guy, put the lives of police officers in front of the lives of children. That is a fact. That is a fact. He deserves to be disgraced, fired, taken off the city council, and humiliated for being the coward that he is and even wearing that fucking badge. Law enforcement officials released the most detailed timeline on Tuesday of last month's shooting in New Valley, Texas, which left 19 children and two adults dead. Nine officers, including at least two with rifles, entered the school at 1136, three minutes after the gunman walked into the school and started firing into classrooms 111 and 112. So three minutes after he walks in and starts shooting, officers are there with shields and rifles. Are we for real now? We understand where this is coming from. Additional officers arrived with the first ballistic shield. Excuse me, they didn't have shields at 1136. They had them at 1152 with two more shields were on the scene shortly after noon. Despite that, Arredondo waited over an hour for more firepower, tactical gear, and a key, tactical gear and a key to unlock the classroom door, which wasn't necessary, necessary because the door was unlocked the entire time. Across it on Tuesday. They didn't even try the fucking door. They didn't even try it. You didn't try it? You didn't try to open the fucking door? It was unlocked, bro. And here's the thing, too. You've got officers who are trained. My ass, right? <clears throat> you got officers who are trained or pretend to be trained, running around like fucking G.I. Joe with, with, with tactical vests on, with ARs, with or without a shield. doesn't matter. The rules of engagement for an active shooter are simple. Neutralize the threat first. That means you die, you die. That's what happens when you're a fucking cop. You expect to be respected? You get the respect you deserve. And right now, Arredondo, you deserve zero. Less than that if it's possible. Okay? I mean, you one cop's wife was dying, and you detained him and took his weapon away? What the fuck? What in the fuck? The door was unlocked, and they're over here trying keys. What are you doing, dude? What is happening here? And the funny thing is, this kid who shot this school up had owned those ARs for a few days at most. How trained do you think you can be having owned one for a few days? Even if you shot somebody else's a little bit here and there, you're not trained. 
You're not trained. His plate carrier, his body armor, didn't even have plates in it. It was just worn as a vest. I mean, the one I used to work out would defend myself more than the one he was wearing. And I bought it from Rogue Fitness. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? Okay. Multiple DPS agents and officers arrived at the scene within 10 minutes of the shooting, prompting senators and the special community to question why they didn't can take control. When you're in this kind of a station, lives are at stake. Within five to ten minutes, you know what's going on. You know that whoever is in charge is not making the right decisions. You've got to take over and take command of the situation, State Senator uh, Juan Hinojosa said on Tuesday. McCraw responded on the scene command that the on-scene commander is the ranking officer and has jurisdiction. Yeah. That's by practice and doctrine, McCraw said. The sheriff and the chief of police of the of Valley Police Department also deferred to saying, yes, he is the on-scene commander. Now, I want to play this, and I don't like doing this because uh, we're going to play a take from Tim Kennedy. Now, I love Tim Kennedy. I'm going to go down to Texas and do sheepdog response, and I think anybody who's done Tim Kennedy's sheepdog response is probably more competent and capable in a situation like this than any of those police officers were. I'm really excited to do it, but I've got to play this because principles. How does it make any sense that I'm going to provide this group that I want to protect us with less training and less funding, but then still want them to be a better product to be able to protect us. We have been weakening them and we have been making them ill-equipped to respond to that. And then I think Uvalde is a great example of not properly trained with broken systems that are not ready to do the right thing. And uh, we will have more of that unless we get them the right training and we get our schools to become hard targets, and then we go upstream to the origin, the genesis of these problems, which is mental health with the individual. Okay, so what they said there, excuse me, guys, what they said there, let's look what they have. The genesis of these problems. So Fox's um, lower third there says, combat veteran comments on the impact of defund the police in the Uvalde shooting. Okay. Now, Tim, Tim and I will agree on many things. Training is woefully inadequate right woefully inadequate schools are soft targets and i hate to say that that we should even have to come that have that conversation should be fortified yes mental health is an issue but you know texas governor greg abbott had tons of money to spend on mental health through a affordable health care act or whatever it's obamacare and decided to not use it because politics right politics so when we look at this right there's a place in the country where defund the police didn't take hold, it's Uvalde fucking Texas, man. Okay? It's not that these cops don't have access to things. That's not it at all. They have zero interest in training. I grew up around these kind of cops. They're do-nothing fucks. They're talentless assholes. Okay? Small town. Uvalde has 14,000 people. My hometown has 9,000 people. North Texas versus Southwest Texas. Okay? These cops are useless. They pull over kids for going five over the speed limit, not wearing a seatbelt, having window tint that's too dark. That's what they do. That's bust parties, give kids MIPs for drinking or whatever. That's what they do. That's where they make their money. That's how they get that. They're, 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 my granddad used to call them uh, glorified tax collectors. right? They, and I would get a speeding ticket and be like, oh, you paid your highway tax, didn't you? And that's all they are. right? I mean, he, was, so he came home. He, he used to go to work at 4 o'clock in the morning. And he hit a stop a stoplight in the middle of nowhere, 
and it wouldn't change, so he ran it. There was a cop somewhere, pulled him over, 4.30 in the morning, in the middle of nowhere, gives him a running red light ticket. He's like, these fucking guys have nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. You know, and I remember just like, I just remembered that. It was like, that, that's how these people are. I had a cop on my ass, another one of these Graham cops, on my ass, right? Right up on me. I knew it was a cop. I could see his lights in my rearview mirror. He's on my ass up in the left lane of a four-lane highway. I merge over with no blinker on, pulls me over, gives me a ticket for no blinker. I was like, dude, I was getting out of your way. You're on my ass. Doesn't matter. That's what they do. They trap you. That's, 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 that's the extent of their job. If something that actually has to happen in Texas, and you saw this, right? He was waiting for more guns. He was waiting for more armor. He was waiting for SWAT. That's what these small-town Texas cops do. If they actually have something that's serious, like they need to do a drug bust or something like that, they call in the feds. They don't take care of it themselves because they can't because they're incompetent, okay? Now, I want to say, let's talk about funding real quick, Tim. Let's look at the actual numbers here because facts are important. In a town of 14,000 people, their budget is $4.39 million. $4.39 million in New Valley, Texas. If you think that they don't have enough money in there to hire somebody full-time, someone like Tim, right? Ex-Special Forces guy, physical combat training, right? Even if they just contracted Tim, how much would it cost them, Tim? I mean, tell me this. If you see this, I hope you do. How much would it cost them, Tim? To, ha- to contract you to come down once a quarter and put people through training. $100,000 a year? You don't think they can spare $100,000 for that? But I'm sure, it's, I, bet you, I bet you they have an armored Humvee out there somewhere, right? That they got on a discount from Lockheed Martin because they had it left over from the war in Afghanistan. And you can't have them letting things go to waste. They can't have a surplus. So let's give it to the cops. Let's militarize the police some more. For what? For what? You don't think they can spare a hundred K to contract somebody who's a professional like Tim to come down and train them. And I'm sure Tim has a whole network of people that he could talk to. Right? So don't talk about funding and training because these cops have zero interest in training. You can look at, um, our boy here. What the hell's his name? This guy big in here. When do you think the last time this guy thought about training? When do you think the last time Alejandro, Thought about training. This motherfucker can't get off the goddamn couch, dude. I mean, if I was faced with a situation where I had to defend myself against this cop right here, I would feel super comfortable no matter what weapon he had. I could be out there in my birthday suit and beat this guy's ass. Give him a taser. Give him a handgun. I don't give a shit. What's he going to do? I could casually jog away from this fat fuck. And you're going to tell me that the, the, the difference between this guy being competent and incompetent is training? I think that the difference between this guy being competent and capable of his job and not is what he puts in his fucking face hole. Well, I wonder what this guy's mile time is. 14 minutes? Come on. Tim, you got to do better than that, man. Don't make it a partisan issue. This is not a partisan issue. This is lives of children. So that's where we're at with that. I wanted to cover that and look at their budget. Look at the real numbers. But at the end of the day, this guy right here is a coward and a disgrace. And it should be made that known. There should be training for every police officer that goes through the academy now saying, don't be this guy. Don't be this motherfucker. That's what we should be saying. Everything that he did, do the opposite. And we'll be better off. Let's move on. 
Well, the Daily Wire, um, <laughs> because they're movie critics now, uh, <laughs> I can't say anything because I do it too. I, now I review some movies on here. But um, they're really upset about this um, same-sex lesbian couple in the new Lightyear movie. And they have thought it important enough to attention-seek via posting this stuff. So I'll attention-seek on the back of their attention-seeking by talking about this. Gay Kiss included woke Toy Story spinoff Lightyear struggles at box office. Look at that fucking head. Who wrote that? Did somebody with dyslexia write that? Gay Kiss included woke Toy Story spinoff Lightyear struggles at box office. Weird. Okay. By Amanda Como. All right, good deal. The latest Toy Story spinoff, Lightyear, struggled at the box office this week following criticism over a gay kiss included in the kids' movie. Is that really why? Is that really why? The flick brought in a total of $51 million in its three-day opening, bringing in $20.7 million on Friday, then dropping to sixteen point three. Blah 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 blah. What the heck happened here? Deadline queried. <laughs> Not once bringing up the film's same-sex kiss controversy because it wasn't a controversy. It was only a controversy at the Daily Wire. That was it. The controversy was totally in-house, bro. Instead, Deadline suggests the movie came out too soon in the franchise, writing, it could be a case of going to the Toy Story well too soon, too fast. Critical, cultural critic John Nolte at Breitbart. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Breitbart, where you, get, where you get real unbiased takes on Toy Story movies. Uh, this, the suggestion emphasized just how bad the opening really was. Marvel releases two and three movies a year. You mean like that going to the well too soon, Nolte mocked? The Lord of the Rings and Hobbit came out every year. You mean like that's going to the well too soon? Well, let's look at, if we looked at the actual numbers here, I bet the Hobbit made like a fraction of the money, that number or a fraction of the money that Lord of the Rings, the final Lord of the Rings movie did, right? Because spinoffs are not going to make as much money, right? Well, three years ago, Toy Story 4 opened to 121 million. If these figures hold, Lightyear would do, it wouldn't do half of that, he wrote. Yeah, it shouldn't because it's a spinoff movie. Of a, it's a movie. I haven't seen it, but it's a movie, a fictional movie that's inside of a fictional universe that was the movie that Andy saw that made him want to get Buzz Lightyear. That's the impetus behind this movie. If you think this movie is going to do Toy Story 3 to Toy Story 4 numbers, you're on meth, dude. There was no way it was going to happen. If it did half of it, that's pretty good. This movie's probably going to crush on Disney+, Plus. by the way. Just keep that in mind. Another thing to keep in mind that there's no competition, Nolte added. The only kitty movie in the still theaters is still in theaters is The Bad Guys, which opened all the way back in April. After the re, uh, resounding success of Toy Story 4 in the wide open field at the box office, especially during the summer, especially over Father's Day, there was never a better time to open Lightyear. Well, let's think about that. What other movie that uh, appeals to children was released that weekend. Now, it wasn't a cartoon. Oh, it was Jurassic Park. It was the last Jurassic Park movie. If you're a 10-year-old kid, particularly a boy, and you want to go to the movies, would you rather go see dinosaurs in a poorly thought out, well, poorly written movie? Or would you rather go see a cartoon about a spaceman from a movie that came out when your parents were 10? Which one would you rather go see? There was no competition? That's a lie. That's a lie. Jurassic Park Dominion or whatever it's called crushed. Even though it's a terrible movie, it's, it crushed. So there was there was a lot of competition there. And we haven't even seen, again, the streaming numbers on Disney+. Plus. Disney Pixar notably reinstated the same-sex kiss between two female characters, Aisha and her wife, following Florida's parental rights in education bill, which I'm sure has very little to do with that, which bans classroom discussions on anything related to sexuality and gender, blah, 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 blah. 
Actor Chris Evans, who voices the movie's main character, slam critics who don't approve of the gay kiss in the kid's film. The real truth is, if these people these people are idiots. <laughs> Evans told Reuters, I don't, I, I don't disagree. Slamming critics of the kiss. Every time there's been social advances as we wake up to the American story, the human story is one of the most constant social awakenings of growth, and that's what makes us good. Yeah, I like that, Chris Evans. You are Captain America. Evans similarly gushed over the gay kiss in an interview with Variety on Monday. Disney put a line in the sand saying, we're putting this back in, but also we're not going to remove it for any other territories in these places that would have a problem with it. So what they did was they said, we're putting it back in, and if China doesn't like it, China can suck a dick. I think as a conservative, you'd be like, okay, sticking to your guns, not taking it out for China, good to go, right? Because Marvel's had that issue, right? With the Black Panther, they, they they had Black Panther's face exposed on the... On the, on the um, on the poster for Black Panther, but in China, he had the mask on, right? Because China's deeply racist. So when you look at this, it's like they chose to take a principled stance. They didn't do it just for the United States. They said, we're not putting this in for any, we're not taking this out for any territories. Which you would think, if you're a principled human being, they'd be like, okay, well, if you're sticking to it, you're sticking to it. I respect that. I respect that. So, Yeah. I mean, it's great, the actor responded. As great as it is, and you know, I've been been asked questions a few times. It's nice, it's wonderful, it makes me happy. It's tough to not be a little frustrated that it even has to be a topic of discussion. I agree, Chris Evans. Me and Chris Evans are on the same page. Maybe me and Chris Evans could be friends. I'd like that. This is the kind of news. The goal is that we can get to a point where this is the norm and that it doesn't have to be some uncharted waters. That eventually this is just the way it is. That representation across the board is how we make films. Yeah. I think people being represented in movies is great. Why would it not be? I don't know. I mean, the same people that are pissed about this are probably really upset about Will and Grace being on primetime back in the 90s. Um, look, it's, a, it's an honor to be a part of something that has taken those steps, but the goal is to look back at this time and be shocked at how it took us this long to get there. Agree. Agree. So here's a bad faith article from um, Daily Wire that doesn't even consider facts or reality or, you know, any of those things, right? They consider only their feelings. You know, and, and from, the, from the guy, from the outlet that's headed by the guy who says facts don't care about your feelings, this sure does overlook quite a few facts. And you could have taken this and been like, hey, man, we don't really like the gays, you know? We don't like the gays over here. I'm Ben Shapiro, and I think being gay is immoral, but they didn't take it out for China, and I respect that. Could have said that and been like, hey, well, we know, you know, we know you're kind of bigoted, so whatever, like, that's your thing. You don't like the gays. We get it. You've been, we've been there, you know? But at least they didn't take it out for China, right? And that's what I respect. I don't like Disney that much. I'm not a big fan of Disney. They've done a bad job with Marvel movies, and they've kind of made them trash. And that upsets me because they were really good. Um, but I think, and I'm going to say this, I, think, I respect that they did not take the gay, kiss, family, same-sex, whatever thing out for China. Good move, Disney. I really appreciate that you, that you stuck to your guns there. Now, one last thing I wanted to bring up. When we're talking about kissing in kids' movies and how maybe that shouldn't be a thing. I want to bring up this scene from Toy Story 1 here. This is uh, Woody and Bo Peep. Oh, oh, Bo. That's a sexual assault. Paid for way to get my attention. Merry Christmas, Sheriff. Say, isn't that mistletoe? Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> so that is, um, that's assault, brother. That's assault. No consent. At all. Pull him under the mistletoe with a hook. If we want to take the same stance that you're taking about this lesbian kiss situation, 
and look at other movies from the same franchise, then I would say um, this one's worse. <laughs> but really, in reality, they're all fun, and they're all in a cartoon, and they're all whatever. It's fine. Calm down. You know? Shouts to Disney for not taking it out for China. And if the people don't like it, fuck them. So as many of you know, um, quadruple facts, Fauci got COVID. He got COVID, guys. Fauci has COVID. He's probably fine now. I mean, all those vaccines you think, right? But I had to bring this up, and I've just been chomping at the bit for this, and maybe won't even make a YouTube video on this because I'm just not trying to uh, get into, get on the on the bad side. of. i got to play the game, guys. i got to play the game. But I wanted to play this for you guys just because it was really, really fun to watch. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. The I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children within each of the age groups, you know, zero so, to five, five to 11. Right. So, so, let's, so there, there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. The only studies that were permitted, the only studies that were presented, were antibody studies. So they say, if we give you a booster, you make antibodies. Now, a lot of scientists would question whether or not that's proof of efficacy of a vaccine. If I give you 10, or if I give a patient 10 mRNA vaccines and they make protein each time or they make antibody each time, is that proof that we should give 10 boosters, Dr. Fauci? Uh, no, that, I think that is somewhat of an absurd exaggeration. Senator well, that is Paul. the proof that you use. Your committees use that. That's the only proof you have to tell children to take a booster is that they make antibodies. So it's not right. an there absurdity. Are. You're already no. at like five boosters Damn. for people. You've had, you know, two or three boosters. It's like, where is the proof? Now, I think there is yeah. probably some indication for older folks that have some risk factors. For younger folks, there's not. But here's the other Damn. thing. There are some risk factors for, for the vaccine. So the risk of myocarditis with a second dose for adolescent boys, 12 to 24, is about 80 in a million. This is both from the CDC and from the Israeli study. It's also in the VAERS study, remarkably similar, for boys, much higher from boys than girls and much higher than the background. The background's about two per million. So there is risk, and there are risks, and you're telling everybody in America just blindly go out there because we made antibodies. So it is not an absurd corollary to say if you have 10. In fact, you probably make antibodies if you get 100 boosters. All right? That's not science. That's conjecture, and we should not be making public policy on it. Damn. Damn. So, Senator Paul, if I might respond to that, uh, we just heard in his opening statement uh, Ranking Member Burr talk about his staff who went to Israel and if you look at the data from Israel, the boosts, both the third shot boost and the fourth shot boost, was associated with a clear-cut clinical effect, mostly in elderly people, but also as they gathered more data, 
even in people in the 40s and the 50s. So there is clinical data. But, but not in children. Well, well see, again, here's the thing is, you're not willing to be honest with the American people. So, for example, <laughs> 75% of kids have had the disease. Why is the CDC not including this in the data? You can ask the question. You can do laboratory tests to find out who's had it and who hasn't had the disease. What is the incidence of hospitalization and death for children who have been infected with COVID subsequently going to the hospital or dying? What, what, are, what is the possibility if your kid has had COVID, which is 75% of the country's had COVID, what is the chance that my child's going to the hospital or dying? If you look at the number of deaths in pediatrics, Senator, you can see that there are more deaths of people who have had it, of people who have had the disease. Senator, we also know from other studies that the optimal degree of protection when you get infection is to get vaccinated after infection. And in fact, showing reinfection in the era of Omicron and the sublineages that vaccination. But you can't follows. answer the question I asked. The question I ask is how many kids are dying and how many kids are going to the hospital who've already had COVID? The answer may be zero, but you're not even giving us the data because you have so much wanted to protect everybody from all the data because we're not smart enough to look at the data. When you released data earlier, when the CDC released the data, they left out the category of 18 to 49 on whether or not there was a health benefit for, for adults 18 to 49. Why was it left out? When critics finally complained, it was finally included because there was no health benefit from taking a booster between the 18 to 49 and the CDC study. Another question for you. The NIH continues to refuse to voluntarily divulge the names of scientists who receive royalties and from which companies. Over the period of time from 2010 to 2016, 27,000 royalty payments were paid to 1,800 NIH employees. We know that, not because you told us, but because we forced you to tell us through the Freedom of Information Act. Damn. Over $193 million was given to these 18 employee, 1,800 employees. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? This makes me so happy. Um. Well, first of all, let's talk about royalty. That's the question. No, that's the question. Have you oh, ever no, overseen, Senator, have you ever received a royalty plan. payment from a company that you later oversaw <laughs> money going to that company? You know, I don't know as a fact, but I doubt it. Well, I well here's the thing is, why don't you let us know? Why don't you reveal uh, how much you've gotten and from what entities? The NIH okay, refuses. Senator, Look, Senator. we ask them. We ask them, the NIH, we ask them whether or not who got it and how much. They refuse to right. tell us. They sent it redacted. Here's what I want to know. It's not just about you. Everybody on the vaccine committee, have any of them ever received money from the people who make vaccines? Right. Can you tell me uh, that? Can you tell me if anybody on the vaccine approval committees ever received gonna, any money from people who make the vaccines? Soundbite, number one, are you going to let me answer a question? Okay, so let me give you some information. First of all, according to the regulations, people who receive royalties are not required to divulge them, even on their financial <laughs> statement, according to the Bayh-Dole Act. So let me give you some example. From 2015 to 2020, I, the only royalties I have was my lab and I made a monoclonal antibody for use in vitro 
reagent that had nothing to do with patients. And during that period of time, my royalties ranged from $21 a year to $700 a year, and the average per year was $191.46. It's all, reda it's all redacted, and you can't get any information on the 1,800 Senator scientists. Your, your time is so we want to know Senator whether or not Paul. people got money from the people who made the manufacturing Senator Paul, vaccine. your time is long overexpired. I gave you an additional two and a half minutes. The witness has responded. We all right. So a non-answer. Now that was cut up. That was cut up to be a little more deceptive than what we're seeing here. That's why I like to play the full clips for you guys. Not a lot of contextual. I mean, I talked about regulatory capture from the very beginning, right? Like, where's the money going? Follow the money. I don't know. Maybe right. I used to have this boss who uh, expected the people around him who he you know paid to be objective feedback um, resources for him, uh, and that doesn't really work, right? I saw it. we like we would like. It's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize this guy. It's where I get my paychecks from. Like, why am I why am I being put in this position? Like this isn't fair. <laughs> right? like, and no one does, and no one would, because you look out for your own self-interest. It's our own internal bias as part of being a human. So I wanted to share that with you guys because it was fun. Uh, I know I'm a little late to the game there, but good shit, good shit, good job, Rand Paul. Why can't you just be the president in 2024, dude? Just do it. DeSantis is like, blah, I don't really care. Trump, please just make him look stupid. If you just run and just make Trump look stupid, please. For all of us, for all of us, make that guy look like the clown that he is. Please, Rand. If you need me to work on your campaign, I will do it. I will do it. You got to pay me, but I will do it. I will do it with you. We can do this, Rand. Let's make it happen. Well, the Ukraine narrative is starting to uh, just unravel a little bit. We got this here from the New York Times. I mean, mainstream outlet, New York Times. How does it end? Fissures emerge over what con constitutes victory in Ukraine. <laughs> oh, my God. So many things in this article. And we're not going to read the whole thing. We'll just kind of go through a little bit of it. But the whole, so many things in this article I've been, I've been saying, people have been saying, Jimmy Dore's been saying for, for months since the beginning. And we were called Putin puppets and pro-Russia shills and all kinds of fucking weird things. But nonetheless, here we go. When you send $40 billion worth of shit to a fucking corrupt, the most corrupt country in Europe, I wonder where that money goes. I wonder where that money goes. All right. Ukrainians, blah, 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 blah. Washington, three months into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, America and its allies are quietly debating the inevitable question, how does it end? Maybe you should know how it ends before you start sending weapons over there, dude. What are the possible off-ramps? What's the way for the least number of people to die? But when you're owned by Lockheed Martin and Raytheon across the fucking aisle, front to back, those kind of questions are just minor inconveniences. The loss of life is not a problem. That's an opportunity. Chaos is a ladder. In recent days, presidents and prime ministers, as well as the Democratic and Republican leaders in the United States, have called for victory in Ukraine, but just beneath the surface are real divisions about what it would look like and whether victory has the same definition in the United States, in Europe, and perhaps most importantly, in Ukraine. Perhaps most importantly in Ukraine. Should Ukraine be the first consideration when it comes to what victory is in the war in Ukraine? And what? Oh, 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 so it's not about that. So it's not about Ukraine. Ah, 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 I see now. Weird. In the past few days alone, 
There's been an Italian proposal for a ceasefire, a vow from Ukraine's leadership to push Russia back to the borders that existed before the invasion was launched on February 24th and renewed discussions by administration officials about a strategic defeat for President Vladimir V. Putin and one that would assure that he is incapable of mounting a similar attack again. Well, since this has been released, uh, Russia has taken more territory uh, in eastern Ukraine. So it doesn't seem like that's going to work out for you. After three months of a remarkable unity in response to the Russian invasion, resulting in a flow of lethal weapons into Ukrainian hands and a broad array of financial sanctions that almost no one expected, least of all Mr. Putin, the emerging fissures about what to do next are notable. So all these sanctions, right? Sanctions, uh, all, all the things we're doing. Right now, the dollar's value is plummeting, right? It's falling like a stone. But the ruble is, is, is having its best its best uh, value in five years. Ukraine's making hella money right now because lots of places in the world that need oil and gas don't give a fuck about Ukraine. And since we shrunk the market, the prices went up, so they actually have to sell less volume to make more money. So the oligarchs and Putin and all those guys, they're happier than pigs and shit right now. And who's suffering? Normal, regular Russian people who had nothing to do with this. Europeans and American normal-ass people who have nothing to do with this. So by doing this whole thing, like we said from the fucking beginning, all you're going to do, I wish you go find this clip. I remember saying these exact words. All you're going to do is punish American and Russian people that had nothing to do with this. Those words came out of my mouth. I don't have any power. I'm just an asshole with a microphone. But it was so abundantly obvious, so abundantly clear that this was just going to fuck over civilians in these countries who have nothing to do with this. (sighs) At their heart lies a fundamental debate about whether the three-decade-long project to integrate Russia should end. At a moment when the U.S. refers to Russia as a pariah state that needs to be cut off from the world economy. Others, largely in Europe, are warning of the dangers of isolating and humiliating Mr. Putin. Yeah. Yeah, you take a a second-class country with a bunch of nukes and embarrass them and threaten them. Yeah, that's probably not the best move. Also, talk about pariah states. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia for a minute. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia. What's going on in Yemen? They're, They're not a pariah state. They're not a pariah state at all. Why is that, I wonder? Why is it? Because there are watchdogs in the Middle East and they're of strategic interest, so we treat them differently? Strange how it's not really based on values, is it? It's not really. When your values are economically based, (laughs) you have no values. And that's where we're at with this. The argument is playing out as American ambitions expand. What began as an effort to make sure Russia did not have an easy victory over Ukraine shifted as soon as the Russian military began to make error after error, failing to take Kiev. And the administration now seeks to, uh, the, a chance to punish Russian aggression, weaken Mr. Putin, shore up NATO and the transatlantic alliance, and send a message to China, too. Along the way, it wants to prove that aggression is not rewarded with territorial gains. If that's what you're trying to prove, you're doing a really shitty job. Because if I was China right now, I'd be like, let's just take Taiwan tomorrow. Let's just take them tomorrow. Why not? These pussies aren't going to do anything. We're going to send them a bunch of weapons. Who cares? We got weapons too, and a bajillion people. Like that—that's that, not the message you're sending. What the message you're sending is that the United States has an incompetent president, right? 
We went from a clown to a corpse. We're an embarrassed nation. We're economically in a shitstorm. And we have zero, zero leverage in this situation. And, again, I'll reiterate, Putin and Russia are making more money now. The oligarchs are making more money now. The only people being hurt by all of this are normal, everyday, average Russian people just like me and you. So they speak Russian. The difference is over war aims broke into the open at the World Economic Forum in Davos this week. As Henry Kissinger, the 99-year-old former Secretary of State, suggested that Ukraine would likely have to give up some territory in a negotiated settlement that he added what... um, Though he added that ideally the dividing line should be a return back to the status quo before the invasion, which includes the Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014 and the seizure of parts of the Donbass. You're not going to keep the Donbass region, Ukraine. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. I'll bet everything I have you do not keep the Donbass region. Pursuing the war beyond that point would not be about freedom of Ukraine, but a new war against Russia itself, Mr. Kinsinger concluded. The fact that I am... uh, agreeing with Henry Kissinger is astonishing to me, but he's right. He's right. Almost immediately, uh, President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine accused Mr. Kissinger of appeasement, retorting angrily that I get the sense that instead of the year 2022, Mr. Kissinger has 1938 on his calendar. He was referring to the year that Hitler began his sweep across Europe, the event that caused Mr. Kissinger, then a teenager, to flee with his family to New York. Nobody heard from him then that it was necessary to adopt the Nazis instead of fleeing them or fighting them. Well, Zelensky, see, here's the thing. You've been shelling the Donbass region for since 2008, or no, excuse me, since 2014. So it doesn't seem like you give a fuck about the Donbass either, my friend. And he tried to create a unified, uh, Zelensky, to his credit, tried to create a unified Ukraine. It wasn't working. His approval rating was in the shitter before the war. Now he has done some heroic stuff. And again, this isn't necessarily his fault. Right, it got brought on him. He's a, a a comedian and a a a actor or whatever, right? He he he's doing the best he can. This isn't his fault. What Putin is doing is not good. This is not good. I'm not happy for Putin. I'm not happy for Russia. I'm actually very sad for the Russian people, and I think Putin is the aggressor here, and it's fucked. But that doesn't change the reality. Okay, that does not change the reality. What we've got here is Russia taking more of the Donbass. And you don't hear that about that much. We've spent a ton of money. We put ourselves in a terrible situation. Gas is almost $6 a gallon. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. So what we're looking at here is an understanding that we fucked up. We done fucked up. I mean, if, if, if Putin was like, hey, we've been making shitloads of money the past few months. Hey, America, we'll give you um, all the money that you gave to Ukraine. We'll pay you that to leave it alone. Just to leave it alone. And we took a vote on that as the American population. I think we'd be like, yeah, dude, we'll take the deal. We'll take the deal. You know? That would be great. I would I would be down for that. But you can have the Donbass. Crimea is yours. Land bridge, whatever you need. Do that. Leave a little bitty baby Ukraine. Ukraine does its own thing. Song and dance. Joins the EU, whatever. You got this part of it. The rest of it goes to EU. You give us the money back, we'll leave it alone. That'd be great. It's not going to happen. But I'd take that deal. I would take that deal because here's where we are. This is, this, is, this, is what, this is what we're dealing with. It's a shit show. It never was going to work. We knew it was never going to work. If you thought it was going to work, you were being deluded by corporate media fuckheads who were owned by military industrial complex fucking weapons manufacturers. They're bought by them. 
The Stooges of the fucking CIA. I don't. I feel like a, I feel like an Alex Jones yelling this, but it's fucking true. It's stupid. Jesus Christ! Like, here's the deal. If I say I'm Russia, let's just make me Russia, and Charlie Kirk is Ukraine. Okay, we'll use those two as an example. If I say, "Hey, Charlie Kirk, I want you to," um, I don't know. I want you to give me your pants. Or I'm going to beat your ass. Charlie could put up a hell of a fight. I'm sure he could. I'm sure he'd really try. But I'm going to end up with those fucking pants. Because it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm a large man. Okay? I've thrown down a few times. Charlie Kirk grew up in a gated community outside of Chicago. Okay? It's not fair. I might get a black eye. I might get a bloody nose. Might be sore for a day or two, but I'm getting those pants. And that's exactly what's happening in Ukraine. That's the dumbest fucking analogy or whatever metaphor you want, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I get confused on those two. But it is what it is. And that's the way that life works. Sometimes the big dogs fucking eat. And America, the United States of America has zero high ground. Zero high ground. When it comes to invading sovereign countries or overthrowing governments. We can look at that. You want to look at what happened in Iran in the seventies? Huh? No. You want to check that out? See kind of what it was before and then what it was after we fucked it up. It's a pretty chill spot. It's a vacation destination. It was beautiful. Now look at it. Who do you think had to do with that? Huh? Britain, United States, anything going to chime in? I got a Jake Tran documentary for you guys. Jake Tran put out a great documentary on this. A great documentary on this, so I highly recommend you check it out. Josh, put it on the screen. And with that being said, it's time for that beautiful part of the show where I give you something to think about. Let's go. If I were a politician today, If I were a politician, what would I do? If I were a politician today, what would I do? What would I run on? What would would be my, my, my base, my foundation? What would I be really striving for as a politician? Before I got corrupted, before I started taking the checks from Lockheed and who and, and Facebook and Pfizer, before I started cashing those fucking checks and insider trading, before I get into that, when I was a young wide-eyed, bushy-tailed politician before I got inevitably corrupted, before I got caught with hookers that were sent to me by the CIA so they could have dirt on me, before the Mossad suicided me with two to the head, before that happened, what would I run on? What would be the thing that got me elected? And I have an answer for you today. And I think it should be the, uh, the message of the next president, representative, whoever it is, for you. I would like to see politicians run on what I would run on, which is peace and prosperity at home above all else. You might call that America first. You might call that America first. Now, when people say America first, what they actually mean is Trump, and Trump wasn't quite America first. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. 
President Xi had his little hand in there, pulling some strings. Was it great? But somebody who really runs on it, who says, hey, we're not going to be shipping all this money elsewhere before we can take care of our own house, before we can take care of ourselves. That's not how we're going to roll. Okay? What we're going to do is create peace and prosperity at home in a variety of ways. That means manufacturing jobs. That means growing the middle class. Growing the middle class. Now, to do that, what do you need? Well, you need money. Where does a lot of our money go? The Pentagon, military budget. It's huge. So let's decrease our footprint militarily by 50% conservatively, maybe more than that. We have 800 bases around the world. Let's bring those on home. We can sell those arms to, I don't know, Saudi Arabia, whatever. Do whatever you want to do. That's, that's where it goes anyways. Uh, maybe Israel so they can run over some Palestinians. Whatever. Um, so we get rid of that. We'll liquidate that, make a little cash there, and decrease our military spend. But, and I hate this because you guys know how much I hate military contractors, but with this plan, it's necessary. You need badass weapons technology. Badass weapons technology to defend yourself. People get jelly, dude. They get jelly when you're, when you're peaceful and prosperous. They get a little jelly, right? Now, the United States isn't going to, by the end of our lifetime, those of you that are listening and watching this, the United States will not be the global superpower. It may be a global superpower, but it, won't be the, it will not be the global superpower. Because there was a time when freedom was advantageous when it came to being a global superpower. That time has passed and is passing as, as we live here. Authoritarianism. Compliance, fast-moving governments and countries will succeed. They don't make any huge errors. That's where we're at. We're in a faster-moving world now. That is advantageous. Freedom is not. So you have to choose, in my opinion, you have to choose between freedom and being a global superpower. If I were to ask every American whether they choose super global, super, global superpower status or freedom, I have a feeling it would be overwhelmingly for freedom. Now, if I was to poll all the politicians, I have a feeling it would go the other way. And that's interesting, right? Because they're supposed to be representative of us, but that's not really how it works and not how it has worked for a long, long, long time. But if you want that freedom, if you want freedom, that means, one, you have to be able to defend yourself. So you need badass weapon systems, the best weapon systems in the world. Saying, if you fuck with us, man, if you fuck with us, it's going to be a problem. You need a robust military for that. But a decrease in military spending because you don't want to be present all over the entire fucking world doing that. Okay? We're also not going to be selling weapons to Saudi Arabia. And we're also not going to be funding Israel's whatever. If they commit war crimes, they don't have an Iron Dome. Well, then we treat them like a country that, treat, that, uh, that commits war crimes. If Saudi Arabia commits war crimes because, you know, that's what they want to do. Well, then we treat them like a country that commits war crimes. Focus on domestic domestic production of oil and gas. So we don't need these people as much. Now you may say this is isolationist, and maybe it is. But I'd rather be isolationist and free than the inverse of that. So we shrink our presence, develop some really kick-ass weapon systems that keep us nice and, nice and defended, some hypersonic missiles and things like that. Just stay ahead of the curve there. Let the world play out how it will. Not policing the world. Maybe use a little economic warfare here and there, but not too much. You know, just enough to hit them where it hurts. Strategically smart, slow. Gangster. 
and focus on peace and prosperity at home. A prosperous nation, right? In a prosperous nation, you have a big middle class, a lot of upward mobility, a lot of opportunity. People's assets grow in value. Homes, they're able to pass them down. They're able to buy homes, not BlackRock, people, human people, regular people. They're able to buy homes, pass them on to their children. Create stability and value for their family. I don't think that's too much to ask for if you're going to call yourself the greatest country in the world. And not that, it, that, not that that's the exception, but that's the rule. The exception is actually that you don't have those things, right? Which is the complete inverse of what we live in now. You know, I've said before, communism starves itself and capitalism eats itself. And we're seeing that now, right? If BlackRock is the, is the Pac-Man thingy, it's just moving along devouring housing developments, turning us into a nation of renters. That's not conducive to peace and prosperity at home. That's conducive for prosperity for a handful of select people, but not for the country at large. And that needs to be addressed. And to address those things, we need to fucking focus. And you can't be focused, right? What does Ron Swanson say? Never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing, something like that. It's an important quote. It's something to live by. It's something our politicians should run on. Maybe that's a good one. Whole-ass one thing, peace and prosperity at home. Upper mobility, a middle class. What if we had that philosophy as a culture? What if that's a cultural norm for us? Not the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps conservative trope, Right? And not that everybody deserves everything and equal outcomes from the left. But the opportunity to create peace and prosperity at home. Maybe that would address the homelessness issue. Maybe there'd be less abortions. Right? Maybe the way to address all these problems isn't banning or legislation or deferring Maybe it's not capitalism or Marxism or socialism. Maybe it's as simple as peace, prosperity, and opportunity at home. And maintaining those as our core values as a culture, as a nation, as a diverse, beautiful melting pot. And not by pretend meritocracy, right? Because opportunities aren't equally distributed and opportunities need to be distributed more equally. There's a million ways to do that. And we can have a lot of conversations about what are the solutions to those problems. That's beautiful. Those are great, productive arguments, conversations, debates, whatever they are. We can have those debates. But if we're not focused on peace and prosperity at home, it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. So if I were a politician, what I would run on is reshaping our value system to focus on peace and prosperity at home. Thank you guys so much for being here. Be sure to support us on the YouTube channel when we drop that new YouTube link. We're going to juice it hard. We're going to go hard in the paint. And we're going to beat censorship, guys. If you don't like censorship, then you need to help me out. I'm telling you. And also join that fucking Patreon. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Bonus episode every week and ad free episodes of shows just like this. You guys are the best. Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.